Hello, so welcome to the first episode of the Resurrected Fitness Podcast. Uh, my goal here is to take a lot of information and kind of condense it down into an understandable form uh, for the questions you all have and just information you all want to know that's going to help you move along in your journey. Uh, and so the first question we're going to cover is how is stress affecting my training and progress? Uh, stress is a response. Uh, it's a response the body has to threats or fear um, or anxieties. And it has, when overdone, it has a lot of negative effects on the body. Um, things like bad sleep, bad digestion, increased anxieties and, and depressions. Um, but the thing with stress that we need to take into account is that training is stress itself. And so we can't replace bad stress with good stress. Uh, stress is still stress on the body. Your body does not know exactly what you're doing when you're training. It's got heavy things on it that it needs to get off. And so even though you might be calm in your mind, it's still a sympathetic activity, meaning that your body is under a lot of duress. And so why I recommend, I think a lot of, if not most coaches recommend waiting to eat your post-workout until after your heart rate has settled down is to allow your body to enter a parasympathetic state, which is, just means your digestion has not, it's opened back up to being able to do its job and digest. When you're stressed, your body will use other resources that it's had to compensate for that stress. And so you ever think about like, if you've been stressed and you're not hungry, like you were before, and then something stressed you out, and then you just weren't hungry and you couldn't eat, couldn't drink. Well, your body is responding. It doesn't want that stress. So it's going to take resources like digestion to affect that and to try and compensate and get out of whatever situation you're in. So stress, in my experience, probably has the number one impact and number one limiting factor for clients when uh, trying to move forward in their journey. It's they could be following all the macros. And that's another thing. So if you're dieting and say you're eating in a caloric deficit and your body is stressed, your mind is stressed, and you're letting external factors come into your life and tear down your, your mood, your demeanor, we're going to have a hard time continuing to lose weight. We're putting our body even under more duress. Dieting is stress. And the body is looking for essentially homeostasis, stasis, trying to get back to a normal, neutral zone. Um, so things that we do in training for our goals for like caloric deficit and hard training, those are stressors on the body. And so we really have to mitigate external ones if we want to allow those to be a positive impact for us. Otherwise, we're taking external stress that from our kids, from our jobs, and we're matching it with training stress and our body's not going to go anywhere. It's going to hold on to the body fat. It might even accumulate more uh, from poor digestion, poor sleep, and spiked cortisol levels. Um, and it's overall stress is gonna affect you in a lot more ways than one. Um, and I've had plenty of examples where we just kind of mitigated stress and we watched weight drop pretty quickly when nothing else was wrong. That we, you know, we can look at all the data in the world. I've got weights, I've got sleep, I've got pictures, but it's like, what's going on? And then we talk about, well, my dog got run over. Okay, have we dealt with that? We deal with it you feel a little less stress, maybe your weight starts to go down. Maybe you're not going to hold on to that body fat as much. Maybe your cortisol lowers and we can get back to normal level and use training and 
um, the dieting part as the stress on your body and allow everything else to be recovery. So uh, moving on to the next one, how do we track local restaurants without any sort of nutrition info? And this is a common one. Uh, I know for me, I'm very type A when it comes to tracking my food. I love to have every meal hit every day of the week. Uh, and I know there's times where going out is the only option, uh, whether it's not to be an outcast or you just really want to enjoy a meal elsewhere. Um, and this is kind of where I would advise to not worry so much if the restaurant doesn't have the options you're looking for. It doesn't have the, the macros listed on their website or on their menu or in my fitness pal. And what we kind of do there is to, we're going to have to use the skills we developed from tracking already and the consistency we've used. So say your meal needs 50 carbs, 30 protein and 10 fat. And so we can look at the menu options and think, what can I look at that might contain that? And how can I manipulate it? So that might be asking them to steam the veggies. So there's no extra oils um, to get plain and also do the same thing for the meat source you're using to have it just grilled and not cooked in oils. Um, and you can maybe add the fats later or have it cooked in oil to get that amount, but minimizing like the excess that we can't control and kind of bringing that meal down to mimic what ours would look like at home and not tracking it so much. I know that sounds counterintuitive, but from a mental standpoint, if you can get it to look pretty close to what you eat at home, it's not going to be a big deal. Uh, like last week I had a hundred carbs to split across my last meal. I had 50 of it. Cause I knew I was going to go eat ice cream. Did I know how much was in the ice cream? No, I took a guess based on looking at it, based on my knowledge of food and ice cream cones. Uh, I did my best. And did I hit it spot on? Probably not. Did it affect everything? No, because I'm so consistent every other day of the week, every other meal of every day. Uh, so when eating out, be mindful of the choices you're making. So steamed veggies, grilled meats, those are really good options. Uh, and you can, if you're getting like rice or potatoes, have them not smothered in butter, like have it put separately. And yeah, just little things, just being, being mindful is gonna be the biggest thing there and not worrying about the meal so much. Uh, so like in my, my check-in sheet, I might have uh, correct meals for the day. And, or if somebody, one of your coaches does, and it says correct meals and you put four, but you only got three, but your fourth one looked like it, count that fourth one. Um, if, you're, if you're putting the effort in, you'll know what's gonna be close to it. Like that big bowl of chicken Alfredo is not gonna be quite as close as if you got the salmon with the broccoli and the brown rice medley, right? So just something to think about, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't overemphasize um, counting meals that don't have nutritional labels at restaurants. Just use your mind, be mindful and look at it and try and mimic what you would do at home. That's your best bet in my opinion. Next question, do you recommend pre-workout supplements? And if so, which ones? I don't think pre-workout supplements are bad and it really is context dependent. Uh, for me personally, I don't use any right now. I feel pretty fueled and um, ready to go by the time my workout comes, which is usually around 11, 1030, 11 a.m. Um, I had my, I usually have my first meal around seven to eight and I might have a banana right before I go in, which is part of my post-workout and I just kind of pull it behind. Um, good pre-workout supplements would be, I personally would suggest raw nutrition. Uh, they have two different ones with one's a low stimulus. Uh, so it's got a little bit of caffeine, I think 50 to hundred grams, 50 or 75 milligrams of caffeine, not grams. 
And they also have a non-stim one, which in my opinion would be good if you're training later in the day, say past two or three, and you're not trying to get caffeine because I also wouldn't recommend caffeine past noon or one, maybe two, um, just for the long, the half-life of it and getting into your sleep. But those two options are good. Um, let's see, a couple other things, EAAs to get essential amino acids to get your protein count up uh, and some extra fuel so you could use, let's say, intra-workout carbohydrates in a powder form like cyclic dextrin and have EAAs with it and start sipping on it on your way to the gym. Uh, do I feel like it's necessary? Not entirely. And that's really goal dependent. Like if your food volume is so high that you need carbs into your workout, or if you're training early in the morning without food and you need some carbs prior to, which I would recommend because I don't recommend training on an empty stomach, um, that would be a good option. But raw nutrition there, they have a stem and a stem free pre-workout. Those would be uh, my suggestions, but at the end of the day, it's very context dependent. Do I have anything against them? No. Do I use them right now? No, I might at some point, I don't recommend like a bang energy drink or super highly caffeinated. Um, and even, even certain situations, if you're say extremely tired and haven't gotten a lot of sleep in the past couple of days and you're traveling, you got a big session coming up, you got a big leg day coming up and you might need a little extra energy, get a couple, get a little more caffeine than you usually, or take an extra scoop. Than you normally do it's not a huge deal um, but you should be mindful of how the other doses affect you and what's going to be good what, what would be one step up not four right so that's something to think about uh, the next question when traveling how do you maintain nutritional goals so a lot of this is going to come down to just preparation um, and that would also go into the week prior to traveling so if you know you're in a situation where you're not going to be able to get as many calories in the following week we can load up on the front end uh, the prior week to get those in and look at it from a two week perspective. Say you're eating like 10,000 calories in one week and then 10,000 the next, and you do it across four weeks, that's 40,000. But say next week, you're probably only gonna get like five to 6,000. Then let's load up to that 14, 15,000 on the previous week and really push for it. Um, knowing where restaurants are that are gonna be macro friendly uh, knowing where your nearest grocery is and knowing when you can get groceries, knowing what you have access to from a kitchen standpoint. Um, and also just prepping, like you can bring meals, you can bring food, cooked food entirely on planes. They have, um, there's a certain companies, I'm not entirely sure which at the moment, sell coolers that you can store prepped food that you can take on an airplane and go with you. Um, so most of it is really just going to be preparation, knowing your environment, knowing when you can eat, when your things are scheduled for when you're traveling uh, and making that also communicating those things to the people around you. If you're traveling alone, that's a different story, but if you have people come with you that aren't necessarily doing what you're doing, communicating with them saying, hey, I need to, I'm trying my best to follow with what I can. Um, and you're considering the circumstances are different, we're traveling, sleeping in a different place, but I can use your help and here's where I'd like to go as soon as we get there to the grocery and make sure I have everything mapped out. So, and also if you have a coach work with them prior to let them know way ahead of time when you're traveling so they can make adjustments and maybe implement some strategies for when you get there. Uh, but just know your environment and come prepared and look at the trip nutritionally ahead of time as you would if you were just planning for it in general. Those would be my suggestions. If you got further questions on that, just drop a comment or send me a message on Instagram. Just let me know.
Um, so next question, how do you decide when to change macros either up or down? This is also very context dependent, which is not the best answer, but I can't give a blanket statement. So I'll kind of give some guidelines as to how I go about it personally. Uh, when I'm adjusting a client's macros, I'm looking at several different things. I'm looking at how are they, for one, how are they doing with their current set? Are they digesting it well? Are they sleeping well? Are they hitting the numbers accurately day in and day out? If you're saying you're hitting four out of seven days a week, but you want to go into a deficit, but some of your days are in a surplus and some of your days are already in that deficit because of the inconsistency, I'm not going to be able to change macros too much. We need consistency across the board to make accurate changes. Um, another thing when we're looking at, like say you come and you haven't been tracking before, you haven't really worked out and say we put you at, let's just say a female five, six, um, maybe 25% body fat hasn't lifted in a year. We put them on 1500 calories just to start with a good macro composition of protein, carbs, and fat. And say they adapt for 10 weeks, they dropped, let's say 15 pounds and they kind of stall. What would I do from there? Well, this might seem counterintuitive. I'm not going to pull because I don't feel like pulling for 1500 that early on, especially is a great idea. So what I want to do is enter a reverse diet and kind of build their calories back up to a good point, maintain as best we can within let's say one to four pounds of what we put, we lost and build our calories up to a higher point that we can kind of sit for a couple of weeks at minimum and then start pulling uh, but build our calories so we have good energy, good fuel, good rest, good recovery, good training, uh, and we feel good going into a diet. I'd rather have someone go into a diet at 2,000 calories versus 1,400 calories. Um, and then making jumps going down. So if you have been consistently hitting your macros and we're at a good state where we could start pulling, like say your maintenance and you're holding like male six foot, 185 pounds, and we're holding that 185 at 2,500 calories, right? And so you're say training days are 2,500 off days are 2,300. What I might do first is pull from both, maybe a little more aggressive on the off days, depending on how often they're training. And so we'll say move the training down to 2,300 and the off days down to 2,000. And so that across the week, what does that say? Their off days are three days a week. That's 1,500 extra off on off days and then training four days a week. So that's 1200. So 2,700 calories loss across the week. Um, that kind of, it's a little, I wouldn't say it's too aggressive, but it's a good point. So if we're kind of holding away everything else, like sleep recovery steps, everything else lines up across the board, then we can look at food, but everything else has to match that. Like your stress can't be super high. Um, we can't be in a bad environment. We can't be traveling four times a month and not be able to hit our meals you know, three to four days, seven days in a week. Um, so when adjusting calories and looking at the situation is our goal to, are we able to diet right then? Are we able to go into a surplus? Um, and then I'm adjusting based on consistency and what trends we're seeing, because I need trends to see and to actually make, make change. I need data. I need information. If you're holding that weight and we're good on everything else. Then we can start pulling a little bit and watching changes from there. Uh, so it really is small manipulations, but the main thing when deciding the changing of macros is to be consistent across the board so your coach can change them. 
um, depending on your goal and your situation. Surpluses are a little different. Like if we're wanting to add tissue, we're gonna have to look at what we're, weight we're holding. And surpluses might take quite a bit longer because we just tend to put on tissue a lot slower than we can lose fat. Uh, some people that's not the case, but someone like me takes me a very long time. I've been in a pretty decent surplus for five months now, and I don't have a lot to show for it, but that's just part of the process. And so my coach works with me to look at, okay, what's our weight holding at? Are we hitting all of our meals? Everything else consistent across the board. If we're holding this, let's hold it for a little longer see if we're still holding it. Okay. Now let's maybe move up a little bit in food uh, to try and mitigate body fat accumulation, but also to keep conditioning and to drive training, but also drive some muscle growth in the process. Um, some coaches are more aggressive, some are less, it just it's really context dependent. Um, next question, can you still build slash maintain a strong physique by body weight only exercises? And what are some of my favorites? So a couple things when it, this is also context dependent, uh, depending on how advanced you are as a lifter. Uh, so say someone like me, I've been lifting for about six, seven years now. And if I stopped the weights and I worked out at home, I would probably have some atrophy, some much muscular atrophy over a long period of time. If I was doing body weight workouts, because my body now requires such a high stimulus to achieve what I'm looking for. And also to maintain what I've got with the amount of food that I'm eating. And I can't, and here's the thing. So load, like weight, using high, heavy weights is a tool. It's not the only one we have. Like I would even, I would put great execution of a movement ahead of using load for the purpose of muscular hypertrophy. Um, and so if we can mitigate those things. So if you're coming into working out and you never worked out and you start working at home, you're going to see some adaptation. Your body is not used to it. But over time, over however long it takes, it, it's different from person to person. Adaptations will get slower and slower, and we're going to need new tools. And where do we introduce tools? Load is a great one. There's other things like tempo, um, but load is kind of hard to beat. Progressive overload. So from hitting a set of three to 10 to 15, I get 15 on all three sets. Let's bump up the weight. Say next week I get 15, 12, 11. So now I'm going to work for 15, 13, 12. And I'm progressing my strength. I'm putting my body in a state to where it needs to adapt to get better. At home with no weights, we're very limited in doing so. So building a strong physique at home, I think we're pretty limited in those realms, if, unless you have weight to do it with, but body weight it's going to be a little more challenging. Some people might adapt to it really well, but for extensive muscular hypertrophy, it's going to be pretty challenging. Um, favorite body weight movements. Um, that's a tough one. I don't know if I entirely have anyone. I would say for legs, just lunge. <laughs> Lunging is going to be your best bet for upper body push-ups. And if you can pull something like a pull-up bar, it's very simple, but if that's what you have, then work with that and get really, really good at those, not trying to implement 30 different exercises and variations of those exercises. Just get excellent at contracting in positions that are repetitive over and over and over again. Um, and we'll start to see some adaptation. Eventually, there will be some limitations since there are no more tools to use at home and there's no load to challenge the stimulus you've already achieved. So that's just my thoughts on it. Some people might feel differently, but... If you really want real change, we're going to have to be surrounded by the tools that provide us 
an opportunity to grow um, in all areas. So last question, what are some factors of weight fluctuation? This is a great question. So I think it can be really easy for clients to get caught up in the scale. So day to day, I ask for weigh-ins every day, every morning, before you use the, or after you use the bathroom, uh, before you eat, as little clothing on as possible to get an accurate depiction day to day in the same environment, same time of what your weight really is, um, drained of fluid and digested. And one day, say you were 180 pounds across six weeks, you go down to 174. And then the next morning you see 177 and you're freaking out. It's like, I just lost 50% of what I did. That's not necessarily true. It's not going to be that easy to put three pounds of fat, pure fat directly back on overnight. It, it does not happen like that. And so what are some fluctu what are some reasons the scale fluctuates? So for me, at the end of the day, I might be 10 to 12 pounds heavier than when I started my day. And that's due to food, um, inflammation. If I trained, it's due to holding water. It's, it's got a lot of different factors and it can be stress. So stress, like we talked about earlier, tends to create a environment in your body where it wants to hold on and use other resources. So it's going to hold on to some, some fluid. It's going to hold on some just some uh, extra things in your body that are going to not allow you to get to a lower weight and drop that and just kind of ease out and drop that fluid retention. So things that fluctuate the scale, uh, poor sleep, you can go to bed, say two hours later than you did the night before and still get up at the same time. And because of that, you didn't get that quality sleep. Your fluid might've not drained all that well. You might've not digested all that well. And now you're two pounds heavier. Does that mean that's two pounds of fat? Not at all just means there was some inconsistencies. And so you're going to see inconsistencies on the scale. Even if you were 100% consistent, the scale will not 100% go down every day. It will fluctuate from time to time. But if we look at it from, let's say, if I was starting here and I went down, I went up, down, up, down, up, down, and I'm up here, at the end of the time, I'm still down. So I could draw a line across the very top of it and see that the weight has still gone down, even though there's fluctuation. So we're looking at a week to week and month to month basis of averages of weigh-ins, but other factors, sodium. So if you go out to eat the night before, even if it looked like the meal you thought you had at home, but they doused it in sodium and in salt, same thing. You're going to hold on to a lot more fluid that way. And you're going to wake up probably a little heavier, maybe a little puffy in the cheeks. And that's fluid. Is that fat? No, it's not. Uh, other reasons the scale fluctuates. I mentioned stress, the so stress, sleep, food, um, and even digestion. If you had something that wasn't too easy on your stomach, say you don't eat gluten and you had a whole loaf of bread, but it fits your macros, but you're not used to it and your body doesn't digest it that well, it might not hold, it's probably going to hold on to it a little bit. You might develop some gas, some extra air, and which is not going to be a lot of weight, but the poor digestion is not going to allow you to get to that minimum weight that you're looking for. Um, Traveling is another thing, traveling in new environments. I tend to not digest things very well. When I'm, after I fly, it takes me a couple of days to get back to normal at least, which is unfortunate, but so I don't take those weigh-ins to heart. Like this past week, I went to Florida and I woke up. I didn't, I didn't be able to weigh myself, but I imagined I was closer to four or five pounds heavier than I was this morning. Is that a big deal? No, I know I just needed to get back in a consistent environment to see actual trends. Um, so fluid intake, food, stress, sleep, um, 
amongst other things, not all of which I can name right now, but the main goal is to not look at day-to-day trends, but week-to-week and month-to-month and how consistent we're being across that time frame to see actual change and actual um, results in the numbers. It is if, as if they are accurate or not. But if you wake up four pounds every one day than you were the day before, it doesn't mean anything. If you still lost weight at the end of the week, that's perfect because we can look at cases like, oh, I, I fluctuate, I was all over the place. Maybe even my macros were off during the week. But at the end of the week, you're still two pounds lighter. That's awesome. And that's our goal. That's awesome. That's what we need to look at. Big picture. Big picture thinking is going to be better in the training aspect of, or in the aspect of fitness rather than the short term, because day to day, it's going to be hard to see changes, but long term, it's, that's where we, that's where we kind of find our gold. Um, and something to think about with training is to not be emotionally attached to your how, but keep the emotional attachment to your why. And so like why you lift, if that's to be healthy for your kids, if you want to look good for your spouse, that's great. But the means to the end, so weighing every day, hitting your numbers, hitting the sessions hard, getting feedback to your coach and communicating, those are just the means to an end. Let go of how that process works. And the quicker we can do that, the better we'll get to a result because it's also going to drive a little less stress if we're less worried about the how and knowing like, hey, Next week, I might wake up a little heavier and I might not move at all. When I dieted last year, I lost 27 pounds in 22 weeks. So that's a little over a pound a week. But I would have stretches where four or five days where the weight didn't move at all. And it would even go up on the last day, maybe by 0.5. And when you're getting lean, it's like, it can be frustrating when you just, you're doing everything you're supposed to do. You hit your steps. And so that's also another factor of weight fluctuation, activity, ex- uh, neat, so non-exercise activity thermogenesis how often um you're getting activity in like steps mostly outside of um training and cardio and so doing everything you can and seeing the weight kind of hold still that's very frustrating but at the end of the day i looked down say two weeks i still lost two pounds and it worked it's just consistently doing the same things day in and day out and that's how you can make real change and that's how you can start to adjust a plan. Um, but that concludes the podcast. If some of that didn't make sense, please drop a message. I don't want you all to listen to this and be confused on anything I talk about. And if you want to reach out to me personally, I'd love to talk about it with you. Um, but yeah, like, and subscribe if you can, and I will see you all next time.